To the untrained eye, real estate is the business of shelter, of comfort, of home. But industry insiders know that just behind the curtain resides a world teeming with innovation and disruption and brutal competition. And there, in the midst of it all, stand our industry leaders, the folks with the answers to our million-dollar questions in real estate. And we've got one of those leaders here for you today. I'm Jessica Edgerton. And I'm Billy Ekofo from Leading Real Estate Companies of the World. Let's pull back the curtain. Welcome to Million Dollar Question. This is a Soulfire production. On this episode of the Million Dollar Podcast, we will have Lindsay Smith of CIR Realty. Lindsay has obsessed over better ways to build, grow, and operate businesses for more than two decades. And after running a successful real estate team and consulting company, he joined CIR Realty in 2008 and is now CEO and co-owner. When Lindsay is not in the office, he is likely on the golf course, reading business books, getting some exercise, or hanging out with his wife and son. Welcome, Lindsay. All right, everybody. Welcome to our second episode of season three of the Million Dollar Podcast. Billy Ekofo from Leading Ari here. And I have the distinct privilege of having none other than the man, the myth, the legendary Lindsay Smith of CIR Realty. Lindsay, welcome. Hey, man. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I love it that we're, uh, we're doing this today. Yeah, I feel like, you know, every time you and I talk, it's always around certain things that happen in the industry. Like, you know, that's not that it's the basis of our relationship, <laughs> but like there's <laughs> other things. deeper than that. That's it. Like, there's other things we talk about, but, you know, I, I love talking to you because, you know, of, of some of the ways, you know, you interact with not just the agents of your brokerage, your leadership, but also some of the things you're involved with in the industry. And so... Today's conversation is going to be about future-proofing your business, your real estate business, which I know between the two of us, it's like something we care quite about. Um, but before we get into it, I, for the people who don't know Lindsay Smith and CIR, tell them a little bit about your company. Sure, sure. So, um, so CIR Realty uh, was born in uh, Calgary, Alberta about 40 years ago, literally 1983. We celebrated our 40th year this year. And that's super exciting. And we've now since grown out of just Calgary and CIR stands for Canadian Independent Realty. And we're now all across Alberta, up in Canada here, um, dipped our toes into BC. We got a great group of people in Kelowna and uh, you know more on that in the future. But uh, we have 900 realtors, about 40 staff, and we operate, uh, I think 18 offices now. So across Alberta, and then um, one office into BC there. Wow. So you, you manage, you oversee all of them. How do you stay awake? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, we got a great team. Okay, good. Uh, you know, of that, of that 40 staff, we have, uh, you know, 10, 10 people on our management team. And we also have uh, some incredible regional leaders that um, operate some of our uh, regional offices outside of our uh, four Calgary uh, core there, but our hub, all of our deal processing, all of our financial processing, all happens um, in our Calgary locations. So it helps us scale a little bit more because we can centralize operations. Yeah, which is always good to have. What's going on in the Calgary real estate market? Yeah, it you know it makes no sense uh, because interest <laughs> rates are going <laughs> crazy. Yeah, it does. Uh, you know, if you were to see it on paper, you would say uh, you know the market should be crashing right now and. And it's not. Uh, we're having a ton of migration and people are moving to Alberta. And that is, you know, in the last, 
I think this year alone, there's been 200,000 people that have come into um, Alberta and a lot of them land in some of our major centers, Calgary or Edmonton. And therefore, I mean, then Calgary, you know, was at 1.2 million and now we're pushing like 1.4 million in the last few years. So we're seeing a a big uptick in people moving here. And that has to do with affordability. I mean, across the country, some of our major centers, Vancouver, Toronto, which are huge economic players in Canada, um, people are being priced out of the marketplace. And then interest rates just compound that effect. So then people come here uh, looking for work. And, and we have a strong energy uh, business. We've also uh, invested heavily into renewable energies as a province as well. Lots of the oil players that are, I guess, villain, villainified or whatever, they're villains for uh, fossil fuels are also the heaviest investors in renewable energies. So we're seeing a ton of that. And, and we've diversified our economy to be tech related and, th and things like that. So we're actually seeing a boom right now where we have a strong seller's market, not enough inventory, and we're, we're riding high still. And we're kind of waiting, you know, the, the message that I have to our realtors right now is save your money because it's, <laughs> you know, the sun won't shine forever, even though it's really been shining since May of uh, 2020. Um, you know, once the initial shock of COVID subsided, then, you know, it's been gangbusters since then. And, and our realtors are tired uh, because yeah. it's been really, really busy and, it, and it's tough for buyers right now because we're still seeing the multiple offers and um, not a lot of homes for sale. Are you finding there's more people getting into the industry right now because of oh, this, you huge. know, uh, utopia of market you're experiencing? It is almost, um, and it, and it's not only the utopia of the market we're experiencing. It also has to do with lifestyle changes. You know, I'll use a quick example. In 2015 and 2016, OPEC, the oil giants, uh, decided that they were not going to reduce production, that they were just going to open up the floodgates. And that, that, that big play in Saudi Arabia was, and Russia was designed to hurt the U.S. because the U.S. opened up their shale play and really went in. And, you know, Trump was like, we want to be energy independent. And, and that's awesome. But they wanted to tank oil prices. And they did in 20, 2015 and 2016. So Calgary and Alberta got absolutely hammered with that. And everyone, or you know, probably 20% of energy workers got laid off. It's got like these big, big packages. And if someone is laid off, what's their second career choice? Real it's, estate. <laughs> I'm going to become a realtor. <laughs> so we predictably saw a huge uptick in 2017 of all of these realtors come into our marketplace. And it was interesting. And the reason I use that example is because of COVID, of with a big disruption in terms of people's work, and people getting laid off and people having this work from home thing. So there is the benefit of looking and saying, gosh, you know, lots of houses are selling, real estate's booming, I want to get in. But this other thing of like, I've been disrupted in my career, I've been disrupted in my family situation, in my lifestyle situation, what's my next career path? People say I'm friendly, people say that I'm uh, a wonderful person, I should get into real estate. And, and inevitably, we see an uptick. So we've seen probably a uh, 15% increase in the amount of realtors we have in our industry in the last, in Alberta anyways, in the last uh, three years. So it's been um, a, a big increase. So lots of realtors in the market, right? Here's my question to you. One of the, the many questions I have for you, like how many do you think of those agents are approaching the business as an actual business, right? Other than Looking at the, uh, okay, I can sell, you know, I can make a quick buck selling a home and call it a day versus, you know what, I need to build a natural business leveraging real estate to do it. What is your yeah. thought on that? 
5%, Oof. maybe, like, and that's probably even worse. I mean, one of the interesting facts that people say is this Pareto's law of like, um, oh, it's 80-20, and then some trainers even go in and say 90-10, 90% of the business being done by 10% of the realtors, and they want to kind of, you know, show this sob story. But it's actually, we did the numbers, and it's actually 65-35. Mm. Um, you know, 65 of the business being done by 35. I'm a numbers guy. I'm that guy that says, I hear a stat, and I'm like, is that real? Or I hear this fun, fun little, you know, anecdote. I'm like, is that actually a thing? And, um, and I got a million of those for you in another podcast episode. All the things that we were taught to believe that actually simply are lies and are not true. But one of them is 80-20, the 80-20 rule in real estate. So the business is spread out a bit more than we like to think. But there's no question that when realtors like actually approach it like a business, I mean, I have a lot of people, and we always talk about the benefits of a database. Well, every realtor has a database. Um, the problem is that sometimes it's just in their head or in their phone. And there's lots of people that actually do well with that because they're on softball leagues, they're out all the time, they're meeting people. They don't need a formal CRM, but as long as they're out there interacting, they'll get by and do business. And they might do you know, two, $200,000 a year in business, but the problem is they're not making any money because they're not tracking their expenditures. They're not doing anything else. So I would say that even that person that's doing you know, $200,000 a year, which a lot of realtors would be happy with, are not treating their business like a business. And it's still just ad hoc. And therefore, they're at a huge, huge risk. You know, we saw a lot of people in 2014 when the market is booming, 2006, 2007, market's booming, making three, four, five dollars $500,000 a year, go bankrupt the next year because the market change came, but they had already bought the new Mercedes, they had bought the new boat, the bigger house, all those types of things. And, and realtors don't realize that you, as in your lifestyle, are typically the biggest expense in your real estate business. Um, what you choose to spend money on, what you choose to do. And of course, there's some people, bigger teams. It's like, yeah, lead gen is, you know, the biggest expense and, and staffing as far as brokerages, um, you know, lease space and, and staffing costs are typically the biggest expenditures. But as far as like an independent realtor's business, it's you. So it's the lifestyle you choose to live, which often dictates um, your profitability. Yeah. We're going to get back into the agent side of it. Um, one of the quick comments I will make, and I try to preach this is, is as much as I can, you know, when someone gets into the industry, I think the value proposition of a brokerage is to help an agent really leverage what the industry has to offer to, in fact, build a business, right? So, you know, you have an influx of people coming in the industry where the brokerage is happy to get the numbers, right? It's always the stat that say, hey, we have X amount of agents at a brokerage, right? But how many, what's the responsibility of a brokerage? when it comes to really teaching those agents, right, coming in and build a viral business. So you lead the team at CIR, right, as head, yeah. one of the head of companies. You have people coming to you, like, how do you approach that as a company? Yeah, I, and I'd say we've gotten way more clear on that in the last uh, couple of years. It's always been, we offer more support, better technology, you know, we do all those things. But I mean, a lot of people say that now, and that's, sort of a thing that, you know, everyone says, you know, we got good education, we got good support and, you know, all those things. We had to sort of distill it down to like, well, what's the root core of this? And then how do we focus on that? And for a brokerage, and, you know, Tom Ferry said an interesting thing one time where he, he probably said it more than one time, but that there was this one time that I heard it, uh, that he's like, you know, teams wouldn't exist in the same way that they do if brokerages were doing their job. Oof. And... 
And that, you're that's like, a big oh, one right there, Lindsay. All right, isn't let's that get interesting? It. <laughs> yeah, isn't that interesting? Because yeah. like, why do people go to a team? Well, they want the support, they want the camaraderie, they want leads, they want, you know, they want, and not even so much leads. If we go down to it, they want to be successful and they want to make an income and do business. It has nothing to do with leads. If they figured out that they could go out and generate their own leads, in fact, they'd probably save a lot more time than dialing for dollars on cold internet leads. Yeah. Um, if they just, you know worked either their sphere of influence or build trusted, uh, you know, a great database of trusted contacts. Um, but that is, you know, the sort of the role of the brokerage and, you know, CIR, we had to look and say, okay, well, what does that look like? And we really came up with, um, you know, kind of two concepts. Uh, one was our, our enduring mission, which was we make real estate easy. And, and one of the things we learned is that you can, um, lead a horse to water, um, we and to take it even further, you can you can stick there and hold their head in the trough, um, but you still can't force them to drink. So we said, okay, okay, you know what? Why don't we put them on an IV? And and right. it was <laughs> to the point where it's you know when people come in, we've developed tools and resources that they 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 plug in once, and that would be the insertion of the the, the IV, <laughs> and then yeah. it's like yeah, I said, don't know. anybody has phobia of needles. Sorry for the analogy, um, but if we uh, if we do that, then it's like we will take over their marketing. You know, Ninja calls it auto flow or um, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, we'll automate a lot of those those touch-based systems, partnering with companies like Lolo, um, who, you know, send out the monthly gifts. And, you know, our print department actually does send out monthly postcards. Um, we've developed farming and QR campaigns that can go through. And, and our client events where people can just plug into our existing events, we have 900 tickets um, going out to a, a petting zoo on Thanksgiving and, <laughs> you know, all these, all these types of things. And so we've, we've tried to do that. So our first thing is that we make real estate easy. And our second thing is that we have this, um, this proven process and our proven process is that when they come in, first of all, we're going to teach you how to, um, operate your business. Um, and then we're going to make implementation easy through that IV. We're going to provide on-demand transaction support. And the final step is we're going to make the business enjoyable. So that sort of loop about like, teaching coach, make implementation easy, um, provide on-demand support. And that's, we have these vast, vast support systems that people can get their questions answered within two, three minutes. And then the last piece is, you know, how do we have some fun doing it? Because real estate can be lonely. Yeah. Lindsay, you had to sit down with your team, bring everybody together and basically said, okay, let's take a pause. What do we actually need to do? If we were to look at um, you know, the, in the industry in general, I mean, in Alberta, uh, there's 200 brokerages and there's probably, um, 5% of those are over a hundred agents. It's like, it's like, so we're talking about a ton of one or two person, little micro brokerages. Um, and most of these people are, there's like one person at the top, one broker owner who is tasked with a lot of tasks. They are the HR person. They are the facilities person. They are the recruiter, the marketing person, the event planner, the, you know, the deal support person, their deal doctor, they're the coach They're They wear all these hats. So at what point do they have space to sit down and actually do anything other than just operate. And most times what we've seen is these, these smaller brokerage models and even larger ones, they're only successful if the broker actually goes out and sells themselves. And, and that way, now you have this other point where they're trying to keep the lights on by doing their own deals. You know, I had one brokerage um, that was looking to, you know, be part of us and do an acquisition. They wanted us to inquire them. And they're like, oh, I'm like, oh, so 
are you profitable? Like, oh yeah, we just declared our first dividend and there was like four owners and they said like, we declared a dividend of $100,000. And I'm like, oh, you know, congratulations. And I'm like, so what are your salaries that you guys pay each other? And they're like, well, we don't pay salaries. It's like, we sell our own business. I'm like, okay, so you're a profitable business as long as your management team agrees to work for free. And I'm like, so it's actually, you're not there yet. Um, so I appreciate it where it is, but I would say that to answer the question of why other brokers don't do this is, is number one, it's, um, sometimes there just isn't the time we're asking too much. It's just unrealistic to do everything to everyone should still take that space to, you know, you're driving a car and people try to change the tire while the car is driving. Um, you got to pull the car over, stop, change the tire, and then, you know, get back on the road. Um, and then the other thing is um, just people don't prioritize it. The, I would say the fog of war. It's just, it's, there's too much stuff going on. You, you'll sit down to go and plan. It's literally like realtors where they'll have a training plan, a training program or an open house and um, that they're supposed to go to or they're going to go door knock or whatever they're going to do in their business or even like do their social media campaigns. Then they get an email first thing in the morning about a deal that's going sideways or any, and that becomes the biggest fire that's burning the brightest. And that activity, taking that course, could result in a lifetime of knowledge, but they prioritize that instant gratification, that short-term thing. And for brokerage owners, brokerage leadership, it's extremely difficult to not respond to that realtor that's in your phone, in your inbox, versus where I'm going to take with this perceived as selfish time to myself to try to grow my business. I just want to be seen as support. They don't, just, they don't prioritize the time. Right. So you're basically at the mercy of whatever wave yes. is coming at you. Uh, and it could be, like you said, you know, a deal is going south and you're the only person that can doctor it or agents blowing up your phone because they need your assistance like right at this moment. Or you're in a seller's market yeah, and a hot listing comes on. And from the agent perspective, you're representing a buyer and you know that buyer has to get in mm -hmm. in the next hour to get the offer. And otherwise they're going to miss out. Yeah. There's a lot there. <laughs> oh man. Like, and it's tough. So I empathize with realtors and brokerage leadership owners about that. And, and, you know, it's great because, you know, with our brokerage size, we do have a bunch of people who can handle the day to day, giving some other people some space to step back and say, okay, how do we do it? And I feel the pressure of, you know, too much, too many things and too many priorities. So then, okay. You are, you know, there's a lot of pressure coming. If you are a smaller brokerage, right? Smaller indie, you're trying to do it all by yourself, right? You still have a business to run, like an actual business, right? To care for, right? How do you, and this is going into the meat of our conversation, really, right? Yeah. For whatever the market throws at you, how do you ensure, you know, let's talk the brokerage first, right? On the brokerage side of things, how do you ensure your brokerage stands the test of time? Because this is really what future-proofing is. And no matter what happens in the market, there's enough consistency into your operation to last, right, for, I would say, years to come. So here you are. What do you do as a brokerage to ensure that, you know, your existence is not, <laughs> you know, challenged or at the mercy of, you know, the impending yeah. calamity that is the market? Yeah. Um, so the first thing that I just want to say is, um, and this is, before my time. Billy, when I was your age, let me tell you all these. <laughs> but, that was yesterday, Lindsay. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. right. That was, yeah. That's true. Um, so, and I always tell this story because it's relevant, but in the 1950s or 1960s, every real estate industry, every real estate brokers thought that they were going out of business because the daily delivery of newspapers 
um, came out and people thought, well, hey, why would I need a realtor when I can just advertise my home in the newspaper and everyone can see it and I don't need a realtor? And that was it. And then in the 1990s, mid-90s, this concept of disintermediation was the talk at all the conferences. Disintermediation. And now it's like disruption and blah, you know, all these buzzwords. And it's comical. And I just giggle when I see all this stuff. Um, but disintermediation was, well, the internet came around. Toys.com, pets.com, um, all these dot bomb things. But in the time, this is very real. People standing up at investment conferences saying Warren Buffett is a dinosaur. Like you don't understand modern day commerce anymore. And everyone looks to Amazon and these companies that, you know, are unprofitable and they just fail to, um, you know, manifest itself into real, the unicorns we look at, but we're talking about lay people here. So my point is that district media came, bro. Everyone thought the internet was going to get rid of realtors because now we get all your information online. We're going to go the way of travel agents, which they still exist, um, go the way of investment brokers, which Goldman Sachs is doing better than ever. Um, and that's it. Real estate's done and it's still going in. So my first advice to brokerage owners is don't panic. Hey. There's lawsuits happening right now. There's, it's going to change. I'll tell you um, from a Canadian standpoint, I was just on a CEO call on Tuesday regarding the lawsuits and people are like, oh my gosh, like, are we, is this going to just get rid of buyer brokerage? Like the whole way it's going to be. We have exactly what they're pitching. We've had it in Alberta since 2014 and we're doing just fine. The industry hasn't changed. Um, like, and, and I, can, I can go to all the reasons. It's a whole nother conversation. About <laughs> yeah, what, that's what another podcast. Waiting to that's happen. another podcast. Yeah. But it's my first thing is don't panic. It's slow moving. We're not taxi cabs getting disrupted by Uber. Taxi cabs still exist, by the way. And, you know, all these things, like it's not the same. It's not the same, you know, and Steve Murray put it so elegantly. The real estate transaction, the dollar volume is too high. Too much is at stake. It's too infrequent. And the complexity is too there, too much there. It's not the same as booking a flight on Expedia that's disrupting travel agents. So the first thing is future proof in your industry. Note that you don't need to panic. We just need to make small adjustments over time. And that's it. You don't need to fire all your staff and, and adopt AI completely. Like you don't like it's just it's it's all buzzwords and it's just don't worry. We're all going to be disrupted. Just relax. Zillow's not taking everybody out of the business. So, well, you know, I, I think every time there's a change, there's a, you know, uh, when you're so used to doing something the same way of, over a period of time, you introduce a, a new element into that. Like people tend to yeah. react. Right. So, you know, and, and I love the point that you make. It's like, look, you know, don't run for the heels, like stay put. Yeah. Right. Yeah, look at iBuyers. I mean, everyone thought iBuyers is going like, right. oh, to buy every home out there. All this investment money is going to, they're going to buy every home. Why did, you know, what's the role of real estate brokerage anymore? And, and look what happened to that. So anyways, oh, so, and then my big point and my big point of where this is all going is, so first thing, don't panic. My second point is create a cadence of oversight in your business. Okay. Talk create, to me about that. Like, yeah, what, does so, that, what does that look like specifically? And, 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 and what's that mean? And it's like, so you need a habit of lo looking down from the top, going out to 30,000 feet, 20,000 feet. So I consider like um, 30,000 feet being like strategic planning, um, big picture stuff, vision, direction, 20,000 feet being um, what series of projects do we need to achieve our vision? 
Um, 10,000 feet, what are the steps within the project? And Runway is actually implementing those projects themselves. So you're actually doing the actual steps. And so as a business owner, you're going to have to um, operate in all those feet. Now, if you have a bigger team, you can spend more time at 30,000, 20,000, and 10,000 feet. Um, your staff are there to run at uh, Runway for you. But you have to make sure that you're doing that. So the cadence of oversight is every week, every quarter, and um, every year, you have to have time dedicated to sitting down to ask yourself some questions. Is it going well? Is it not going well? What's happening? What are the issues? What am I hearing? And you need to create a feedback loop um, amongst your customers. Uh, and that could be your realtors. That could also be the public um, if you're, you know, realtor facing. Um, so, and if you if you do those two things alone, just having those, and there's obviously a lot of specifics in there about like what does your weekly review look like and what does your, your quarterly review look like. But overall, if you do that regularly, you just take a time to say what is going on, what's working, what's not working, how am I performing? Then, and you're tracking that every week, the trends don't change weekly. Mm. They change over the course of decades. And, 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 you know, like in five, six, seven year periods, you will be so far ahead. And then there's a point where you say, well, now I'm just going to test. Now I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to test this little trend. And I love it. I think it was Jim Collins in um, one of his books, like why the mighty fall, or I would need to uh, get the right exact reference, but he says these successful businesses went out and one of the ones that were successful is they shot bullets first, then cannonballs. Um, bullets first and cannibals. And what you want to do is you want to shoot some bullets to make sure that um, you have the right aim. See if those bullets hit the target. And if they do, then you fire the big guns. Then you start going all in and investing your resources and idea. But it's, I mean, it's like you play amateur poker where you're at a poker night with your buddies and, you know, two guys in the very first hand go all in. <laughs> and you know that neither of them have the top hands. They don't have the nuts. And you're just like, what are you guys doing? Like live to fight another day. Yeah. And that's the thing with brokerage owners is, you know, don't go all in on a business model. Don't go all in on some dramatic change. Test it, you know, put 5% of your resources towards that. Cause if it fails miserably, you're fine. It's not going to sink you as a brokerage. Um, you know, but if you try to put all your resources into a new marketplace or something like that, and now you're unprofitable and now it sinks you like overall, then, you know, you, you went all in too early. So, yeah. um, so that concept of testing is huge, but you only can do that after you determine where the trends are going. And that happens from that cadence of oversight. I love everything you said. Uh, the emphasis here is I, th I think, and feel free to correct me on this. If you actually see your real estate, like, you know, whether you're an agent, but like if you truly consider that you're running a business, not just, you know, a, a real estate venture of, of some sort, but like really thinking about that as a business, I think it will condition you of looking at things, of doing things very differently, right? The whole idea of stepping, like making time to step back and look at, you know, assessing your business, right? Like getting some feedback, creating a feedback loop. That's, you know, <laughs> pride may get in the way of this because you think everything is good because your brand is amazing, right? But like to just step back and say, okay, where are we actually, right? Because you're inviting that type of feedback. 
is actually really good for your business, right? So on the brokerage level, that's you know, I think that's one of the keys that people need to do. You know, whether it's twice a year, once a year, you know, just take the time to just say, okay, things that seems to be going well, are we missing something, right? Like just asking yeah. this question alone may put you on the path of discovery, right? And something where you said, you know, we never thought about maybe this other avenue to bring additional revenue to our brokerage. Maybe we should, you know, to your point, let's test it out and see how it pans out. Um, and if it, if it doesn't pan out, then we know it's like, okay, it's good enough for us to recorrect and go somewhere else. Well, and, it, and if we go right down to kind of runway on the, the actual oversight piece, as a brokerage, we've really adopted uh, the EOS system and people can look up EOS worldwide. I, I don't get any referrals from them. I'm not <laughs> compensated by <laughs> them at all. But the, the the first book to look at the whole thing is a book called Traction by a guy named Gino Wickman. And for those of you that have been around real estate for a long time, you've probably heard of Floyd Wickman who did like sweat hogs and these other training before. This is his son who did not do the real estate path, actually went out and helped business owners and developed this incredible system uh, for entrepreneurs and small to medium-sized businesses. Um, but basically EOS makes it super easy to understand how all the pieces of a business work together. And, and one of the examples, the only reason I reference that is because I'm, I'm going to give their exact example on this concept of a scorecard. And every week you need to be looking at your scorecard. And what your scorecard should contain is if you were on um, a beach in Tahiti and someone with your, the server with your Mai Tai came over and served you a drink and gave you and said, oh, Mr. Smith, here is your scorecard. You could look at these five to 15 metrics and at a glance, know the health of your business. Mm. So what are the five to 15 metrics in your business that you can look at at a glance to know how your business is doing. So some of ours obviously is revenue. Um, you know, we look at profit. If you really don't need to put expenses on there, if you look at, you know, revenue and profit, because, you know, those two, we can do some quick math on. Um, we look at um, average number of transactions per staff member uh, is one that we look at as a brokerage. Um, we look at marketing engagement because then we know that our realtors are using the services that we have. Um, average production per agent is another one that we have on our. Um, we have some specific projects. We have this program called Empire. So we have percentage completion on Empire that we look at. And we got a few other numbers um, on there. And what's great is that every single week, we have a weekly meeting and we look and we ask ourselves, we have a target for each metric say what do we what do we need to be at this week and are we on track or are we off track and if we're off track if we said you know we want this percentage of growth this new number of agents net growth whatever has to be if you're off track well that becomes an issue and then you say okay you know the first start of the meeting is you look and you say are we on track or off track on any of these we're off track it's an issue we go look down to the bottom you don't look and say our profits down <laughs> i'm not going to pay attention to it you know it's like in that meeting we need an action plan. And so at the end of every week, you started to identify what's happened. You might say, okay, that might be an anomaly. Let's wait till next week. Sure. And then that week is gone again. And then you go ahead and move from there. But the power of having a scorecard, and this is for realtors as well. You might be tracking database growth. You might be tracking 
number of online leads. You might be tracking social media engagement. You might be tracking, you know, any of these things, you know, uh, firm deal volume or, you know, um, whatever it happens to be. I like firm volume versus like closed paid out volume. You do that too, but because firm, I feel like you can control like once contingencies are removed. Yeah. Um, possession dates take a lot longer or close dates. Um, but anyway, so the realtors then have their metrics as well. And every week you put it down and you look at it and your eyes are wide open about your business. So the scorecard for the brokerage, the scorecard for the realtors, right? So are they, well, I would say for the brokerage, it's probably slightly different. From- it's it's significantly different. <laughs> yeah. Significant, like from the business ownership standpoint, it's significantly different. Um, cause you're, I mean, but some of them are the same, like you still want revenue, you still want, um, profit on there and profit with realtors. This is including your own personal salary. Yeah. How much do you need to live? Um, and, and it's less that, and that's a big problem that realtors have is they view that their profit is their salary. And if they view it that way, then they actually have no profit. So if your revenue is $200,000 and take tax aside, and you spend twenty, you know, thirty thousand dollars to make that, and you're left with one seventy, but you your living expenses. Then I got one seventy to live on. You actually have no money to reinvest back in your business, no money to grow. Right. But you actually you're zero profit. Yeah, and then, so to a point that I was making earlier, that just to look at that and have the ability to map that out and divide those things, so that you know there's a clearly an investment back into the business and then you know, whatever you need to live off. Like, I don't think, and I'm going to make a controversial statement here, but this is what we do, right? I don't know that many brokerages really teach that, right? And so then I always wonder why that is not the case. Because even when I started as an agent, you know, the focus was always, okay, here you go, you you know, go out there and sell, sell, sell. You can have this extravagant lifestyle with really minimum investment to get into an industry, right? That's another topic of conversation another day, right? Yeah. But like, that's really the approach of many realtors have. None, and maybe this has changed, right? Since I started, but like, it's hard to really think of, you know, uh, like a, your, your average realtor looking at those things the way you just described them, right? And so the responsibility, again, of the brokerage, in addition to everything else you provide as support, I think part of that is to really emphasize on the fact that you need to consider your agent need to consider your business from the same perspective, more or less the way we do. We look at revenue, we look at profit, expenses, you know, all that stuff. We, we follow, we track it. You need to do the same thing. Now, here's the kicker. I found it interesting that at times you have brokerages who are not profitable, but yes. yet, <laughs> right? Like you're trying to, you know, and I don't know why that is the case. Like you're trying to teach that or making the case for your agents to follow this plan. Shouldn't have some sort of correlation, right? Between where the brokerage is and then what the agents are to be. So if you, and if you, if you live, you know, if you want to live forever as a brokerage <laughs> and I'll, ne- I'll never forget, I went to, um, you know, one of the, uh, one of the presentations, um, I used to go to CES all the time, the consumer electronics show. Um, and it was, it was awesome. And I'd actually sign up and do all the panels and sessions. And, um, and one of the panels they had, um, the head of Xerox, um, one of the heads of Google, uh, one of the, and the, the cool thing about CES is you come to some real estate conferences 
And everybody on the stage is an expert, is almost like a pundit. And they're just like, you know, they like, this is the way it is. This is, you know, let me tell you the way to be successful. And when you get these upper echelon uh, people, they're not here spouting off the realities. They're kind of like, well, you know, we don't really know. We're kind of, they're, they're really unsure about the future because there's so many possibilities and you need to yeah. have what they call like this healthy paranoia. But what was cool about it was that they were thinking, like the head of Xerox is like, well, one of the most important things is that we need to build more engineering schools because um, they're thinking, because in 50 years, the United States, um, and I'll just group in North America because I'm a Canadian, but sure. I mean, really, the United States, you know, needs to be a player in the technologies and we can't lose all the brain talent to China and India and, you know, other, other, other countries or even Canada for the, you know, so you have to make investments today that will pay off in 50 years from now. And it was just really cool to see how they had this big picture horizon perspective. So in order to live for 50 years or live for 40 years or anything else like that, there's just one simple um, concept that will ensure that you live forever. And that is spend less than you make. I feel like you just blew everybody's mind here, um, which is amazing. <laughs> I tell and, this to my kids and they're like, wait, wait a minute, what? No, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> there's this hilarious Saturday Night Live skip and I, everyone should listen to it. And um, and it's, uh, I don't remember his name, but Steve Martin is one of the guys. They're sitting down at the kitchen table. This guy walks in and this guy says like, like, or Steve Martin and his wife are sitting there and like, oh, you know, it's just all this credit card debt and everything's building up. And this guy comes up, well, you need my new book. It's called Don't Spend Money You Don't Have. And, <laughs> and the guy's like, so let's see. So I want to buy something, but I don't have the money. And he's like, don't spend it. Don't buy it. And, yeah. know, it's like, don't buy it. And it's, it's, it's fa fantastic because it's just, it's so simple. But if you just go simplify on that, but people are like, I need debt. I need these things. And the problem with venture capital money and the problem with this is it breeds irresponsibility. It breeds uh, egos. It breeds, you know, and when people start saying, hey, my exit is going to be based off of share price, not longevity of the company. Um, and even even these these you know companies like SoftBank and all these ones that throw huge VC money at different people like they're not trying to build a profitable business they're trying to increase the share price so to they the can point that yeah. they can exit out and yeah. that's it but the company may not have made a real dollar yet and but I mean most people are like private business but the problem is that if someone handed me a hundred million dollars to run CIR and said Lindsay here's a hundred million dollars go ahead and invest well what do I do? I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to open new offices. I'm going to start these big marketing campaigns. I'm going to take on all these liabilities, more staff. You know, now I'm training up engineers and technology people. That's the plague of having that amount of money. But if someone says, okay, now you have $100,000, or if you're a realtor, you have, you have $1,000 or $10,000, what are you going to do to make a responsible decision to move your business forward? And if you ask bigger questions, you get bigger answers, and you get, you, you're able to stay lean, and you're able to, to figure it out and bootstrap. And, you know, most entrepreneurs, there's lots of 20 and 30 year olds out there that are like, oh, I'm going to build a business. And the, you know, they're, they're listening to Gary V and I, you know, I love Gary V don't get me wrong, but you know, and, and Gary V is also like, like, you're so young, you're 22 and people feel like they're not successful yet. And I'm like, you don't know anything yet. And most successful entrepreneurs, the most successful entrepreneurs are between the ages of like 43 and 50 because they have this life experience behind them. And part of that is just bootstrapping, is just, you know, spending less than you make. You know, people go out and they, in our, in our market too, with the rise of Instagram, the rise of TikTok, 
Um, and we, this was always happening, but people have brand new Mercedes. Uh, you see brand new Ferraris pulling up to listings and they're leased. And it's like the payments are like $4,000 a month or $2,000 a month for these Mercedes and stuff. And you're like, what are you doing? I mean, if you want to buy, drive a nice car because you're trying to appeal, fine. But buy it two years old. Like if you know anything about economics and investments, you know, people look at a Mercedes and whether it's two years old or, or 2023, 20, they, don't, they don't know the difference. They don't care. It's like, oh, he's driving that. And even some of these vintage ones. One of our realtors bought a 1995 Ferrari. It looks like something straight out of Miami Vice. And are. I appreciate that. I'm like, man, that's a cool, it's a fun car and it's a talking point. Um, so, but anyways, it's like that's responsibility. And that's how you stay profitable because the markets change. You always have enough money. You know, you're always profitable. So yes, you might need to adjust your lifestyle a little bit or, um, you know, adjust what you're doing for lead gen. But you're you're also, if you're, if you're tracking and your scorecard has your lead generation activities on it and you always know what your dollar invested is producing on your return, it'll always be worth it. Yeah. You'll never be wasting any money. You know, how much are your bus expenses producing? I don't know. You know, it's like, well, maybe you should go into some measurables to start. And why do you have a bus bench? Well, my competitor has a bus bench. And you're like, well, what? So let them choke on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot there to unpack. <laughs> I, I feel like we, need, we just need like a portion two for that specific segment. <laughs> the whole notion that, look, you know, you make money, you spend less than, you know, like not go over, overboard and trying to keep up with, you know, the company next door, the brand next yeah. door. You know, basically find what's working for you, invest in that, test the market, right? See what's, you know, you know, some other people say, look, use the consumer as like a guideline for your strategy as well. Like see where the interest lies, you know, a little bit, test to see if your message will resonate with them and then correct accordingly. Yeah. And, and if we were to get like really, really granular, I want to make sure people have like really tangible action points here. Then it's like, okay, if you're, uh, you have to get feedback from your customers. Uh -huh. So make sure you have some feedback loop with your customers. Maybe you're doing uh, a, a debrief at the end of each transaction if you're a realtor. Um, brokerages, you're sitting down with your realtors, maybe quarterly, maybe twice a year, um, semi-annually, and you're asking what's happening. But you're also, if you have a group internal Facebook page or a WhatsApp group or whatever you're doing, go back once a month and scroll through and what are they talking about? Oh man, I lost a list on this. Hey, who's, what are you guys using for virtual tours or online photography or whatever? And you'll be like, okay, so these are some needs and trends that we're seeing. How are you guys competing against this? And you'll start to view things there and just ask and people will tell you. Um, ask what's keeping them up at night, ask the problem. So create a steady uh, stream of feedback in that's gonna give you the ideas of where the issues are for your consumer and that way you're going to be able to provide solutions because that's all it's about is adding value to the marketplace. Like as a business, um, you're just giving people what they want. And then on your um, annually, sit down and assess the big picture. Decide where you want to be in 10 years. Go pie in the sky. That's fine. Uh, but then break it down to three years and then one year. And one year is very tangible. And so just identify those pieces. What's your business going to look like in three years? What's your business going to look like in one year? And then you say, okay, now what are the most important things we need to do in the next 90 days to achieve that? And what are the issues that we're going to face that need to be solved? And then you start working in 90-day increments. Um, so then every quarter, you sit down and you say, are we on track to that one-year picture? What's the next most important thing that we do in the next 90 days to get closer to that? 
and you do that and you're working in 90 day cycles. Did you, did you do that or didn't you? And realtors, you know, find an accountability partner or somebody else to sit down. You guys both do this together. Yeah. Um, and that way you're, you're not alone, but brokerages sit down with your leadership team. If it's you or you and your significant other, if you're a one man show or you and your marketing manager, whatever happens to be. And then every single week you're looking at your scorecard and you're also reviewing your um, your 90-day important items. Are you on track or off track to those 90-day things? So you're reviewing, call it your 90-day goals. Okay. Um, I don't like the word goals. I can go deep into why why that is the case. But your 90-day um, initiatives, you're looking at that. EOS calls them rocks. That's yeah. fine. But um, So your 90-day rocks, are you on track or off track? And how are your scorecard metrics? And those are going to produce issues. Is there anything else that came up in your feedback? And every week you t- talk about that. Yeah, actually, we have two realtors that have this issue. Oh, okay. Do we need to solve that? And between every 90 days or every year, looking at your three-year picture, your one-year plan, every 90 days reviewing um, the most important initiatives you have to get on there, every week tracking your scorecard, and also having a feedback loop in for your customers, you, you, you will be successful. Your scorecard will determine, will help you spend less than you make because profit being negative is off track and you better put that on your issues list and figure out where you need to cut and how you can add sustainable amount of value to your marketplace. There's always things we want to do. I always sure. say to realtors, I always thought that a good thing to do for realtors was um, they should do an annual CMA for every one of their clients where every year they sit down and they do a giant overall two-hour CMA for every one of their clients. Well, pretty soon I had 600 people in my database when I was selling. And how do I do a data, like an, a two-hour CMA for everyone? It, was, it became unsustainable. We had to figure out a different way. Yeah. So take that off. It was just an unsustainable way to add value. And if you're offering value to your agents that is putting you in the, in the red, it doesn't work. Or if you're adding value to your clients or you're trying to market out to, you know, from real perspective, if you're spending advertising money that's putting you in the red, it's not sustainable and you're going to die. So every week that will keep you on track for spending less than you make by reviewing that scorecard. If you have those profit metrics in there. Lindsay, we're getting closer to the, I, I love to continue this conversation for like yeah, of days on end because you and I can chat about this, uh, this very topic, um, getting close to our end time here. My $1 million question for you is this. So of all the metrics that you looked at, of all the things that you know, you follow in terms of trying to sustain or ensure that your, you know, CIR remains future-proof and some of the things you teach to your agent. What is the one thing of all of them that you're like, this is the one that absolutely needs to have my eyes? So it is every, so it has to do with the cadence of oversight, but I'm going to say at a minimum, twice a month, so every two weeks, you need to sit down and you need to have some metrics that you look at for your business and you ask yourself honestly, how is it going? And that is if you just take that time to give yourself some reflection, identify what those that scorecard is that's going to determine the health of your business. It's just a clear picture of the health, then you will have make clear, uh, you know, clear decisions. I think it was one of the maybe Robert Kiyosaki, one of the investment in real estate investment gurus who sat down and said, wake up in the morning and write down the amount of passive income you made overnight. And, and if that number is zero, you'll eventually get pretty frustrated putting the zero down 
that you'll actually say, okay, I'm actually going to put some money and put it into an index fund or a treasury bond or whatever I'm going to do. Cause now I can actually say that the interest gained me some, you know, passive income overnight, or I will buy my first investment property. So just that awareness of what is happening, asking yourself real questions about the health of your business, um, is probably the most important thing you can do. Cause you'll naturally hear problems that your realtors are having, or you'll, you'll get feedback and be honest with yourself about why a deal went sideways or why someone didn't pick you to list their house. Right. They'll say, oh, we picked this person because they do more online advertising or they're bigger on social media, whatever it happens to be. And then just on those one to two weeks, I prefer every week, but if it's at minimum every two weeks, you sit down and say, mm, we should probably post up some listing videos on social media. At least we're not going to waste our time on a whole bunch of, you know, just the time suck of scrolling through reels or TikTok but at least we're going to enhance our presence a little bit. Okay, great. That's a little a little thing that we can test, that we can change to post up to make a difference. When we go to our next listing appointment, we now have a great portfolio that we can demonstrate we do represent well on social media. Um, and so that, that constant cadence of oversight, even if it's just once every two weeks, ask yourself, what's going good, what's not, and how are my metrics? You, you can't not succeed. Brilliant. Well, I, I can't thank you enough, Lindsay, for making the time to speak honestly about, you know, what you need to do to ensure the longevity of your business relevant of what whatever market forces bring to you. So thank you for your time. My continued best to you and your team as you're looking to navigate, you know, whatever <laughs> the, yeah. the market throws at you. Um, you Who know, knows, but we'll be ready. We'll yeah, be ready. I know. And, and that's, that's really what this is about, right? It's, you know... I'm not looking at a one bullet solution. I'm, you know, small changes, incremental changes over time and be able to reassess where you are can only lead you to continue performing. So best to you and the team at CIR and hopefully we'll continue this conversation in the future. Hey, thanks, Billy. It's such an honor to be here and uh, grateful to add value where we can. Cheers, my friend. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, buddy.